Hey, everybody. It's me, Naja. Welcome to another episode of I Know I'm Crazy with Naja Hall. We have an amazing guest here today. And I know you guys are like, Naja, you say that every other Tuesday. You say, well, damn it, I mean it. And today, Lisa Sunny is here and it's no different. So let me tell you a, bit, a little bit. Well, no, before I start telling you about Lisa, let me tell you how we met. So you guys know I have like a couple of different social media platforms. Some are for people in blended families. Some are for stepmoms. Some are people who just love weaving makeup. You know, I, I talk about all the things online. And I met Lisa on my stepmom page. And as Lisa just finished saying, we were talking before we recorded. Lisa was like, man, Najah, me and you are supposed to hate each other. Like we're we're on completely different opposite sides of the field. You know, Najah's a stepmom and Lisa, I can't even call her a bitter mom because she is not. This is this is about to be a healing conversation from a healed person, but mm-hmm. she is able to speak to us from a pain place in her experiences. So that's not even her bio. Let me just read you guys her bio so you can see how amazing this person is. Lisa is a survivor of domestic assault and narcissistic abuse. Her firsthand experience has led her to exactly where she is today, a certified life and relationship coach who helps clients of all genders and from all walks of life overcome challenges stemming from traumatic partnerships. She specializes in overcoming trauma bonds and helping individuals heal from the pain while building unshakable self-love. Lisa is the author of the Trauma Bond Recovery Journal, the Self-Love Reflection Journal, and the Trauma Bond Recovery Course, a 12-week online course that guides you through the exact steps to break free from those abusive cycles. And you all know what? Let me pay some bills real quick. Right after this dance break, Lisa is about to come here and teach us about all of the things. I know I'm crazy. I know I'm crazy. I know I'm doing crazy. I know I'm crazy. Now's your hall. Lisa Sunny. Hey, girl. Hey. Hey, how are you? I am fangirling out first and foremost because, you know, you're like, y'all, Lisa, how many followers do you have on TikTok? I mean, who's counting? But Lisa, do you have like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands? Like, 536,000. But who's counting, right? Who's counting? <laughs> Lisa, you're TikTok famous. Um. Okay. <laughs> it's I I did not start this account to become TikTok anything. I just was documenting my own process of divorcing a narcissist and the rest is history. Here we are. So I had, you know, obviously I have all the same questions. I've watched every video on Lisa's page and guys, all of her links are going to be down below. So if you if you're listening to this and you just scroll down below, I want you to go and look at her her pages and these links as we're speaking. But For those of us that aren't familiar with what happened and the true backstory, first of all, Lisa, everybody says that they've divorced a narcissist. Everybody says my ex is crazy and this and that. How do you know that you actually divorced a narcissist? You know what? I have a very strong opinion on this and it's a very good question. The answer is it doesn't actually matter. You think you're divorcing a narcissist because what you are doing is divorcing an abuser. And so the the title, the label narcissist doesn't matter. However, on that note, when people say I'm divorcing a narcissist, my ex is a narcissist, they're not diagnosing someone with narcissistic personality disorder. What they're saying is your behavior aligns with someone who has narcissistic personality disorder. So it's sort of like if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's a duck. 
so stick a fork not, in it and it tastes like a duck it it's a duck that's just that simple so i i don't actually i don't believe that the word is really overused i think that people are using it in a context of describing a set of traits and describing a set of behaviors they they may or may not be an actual narcissist narcissism yeah. exists on a spectrum so they're probably talking about someone who's highly narcissistic mm. or narcissist hey, so you have a major platform and I always like to ask the people because you're talking about something that's very trans. You're being so vulnerable about a pain point in your life mm -hmm. that involves a pain that someone else created. I have to ask, how does that other person respond to your massive platform and your following and the fact that you're saying, hey, I was married to a narc? Um, well, with multiple cease and desist letters that I file under G. And for those that don't catch that reference, G is garbage. Um, file 13. They know, Lisa, we call it file 13 over here. Send the letters, baby. Done. File 13. G. I know exactly where they go. Exactly. Yes. Um, but more importantly, I would say, you know, what, what really happens is that uh, in true narcissistic fashion, they don't do their own dirty work and they send uh, flying monkeys, often the new supply. And in my case, that's my experience. Damn. The flying monkeys. Talk about flying monkeys. What the hell is a flying monkey? Is it a monkey that flies? It is a monkey that flies. So flying monkeys is a term that actually stems from the Wizard of Oz. And yes. it, it, the monkeys that do the witch's bidding, regardless mm. of how she treats them. And so these are people, they're not just supporters of the narcissist. A flying monkey is someone who targets the narcissist's victims and does their bidding on their behalf. So they're actually participating in abuse. Is a flying monkey a weak person? Are they, you know, because I typically think there's a certain um, type of person that would get caught up in doing someone else's dirty work. It, it's easy for a new partner to become a flying monkey, but what are the characteristics of, of the flying monkeys? Um, my, well, this is my subjective take on that is that there's probably some mental health issues. I don't necessarily mean diagnosable disorders, but certainly someone who's, who's unhealed and got their own traumas. Um, someone who, who is easily, uh, influenced and jump on the bandwagon of someone else. I made a video very early on about, it's just so shocking to me that a person can be so committed with such gusto and passion to someone else's lie when you weren't there. So it surprises me. I understand believing your spouse, I, you know, rightly or wrongly, I get it, believe your spouse, but where you, where you flip the corner for me is in becoming a flying monkey in that you mm. are so passionate about what you've been told that you will take time and hours out of your day to target someone that you've basically likely either never met or really don't know. And you ignore evidence in your own life of what's really going on. But there's, especially when you're talking about a new supply, there is an importance that if, if that new supply is to acknowledge like what maybe his ex is telling the truth, then they have to face that they are in fact also being abused. And that's a lot to face. That's a lot to face. How long did you face it? I faced it for nine years. What made you wake up? Uh, the reality is what made me wake up was we separated and the physical abuse got worse. And uh, we were in marriage counseling and the therapist said that she had to stop seeing us because the physical abuse was getting worse. And she felt that therapy was the main contributing factor. 
And not only that, not only did she stop seeing us, it was so bad what we both described that she actually contacted Children's Aid and uh, filed a report because they were witnessing abuse rather than they were themselves being abused. You've got to contact Aid when it happens in front of the kids because now it's a family matter. Yeah, and it was a real catalyst for me in contacting police and everything just moving forward. It was a real... Uh, a, a, an awakening and a moment of realization for me that it is that bad that third parties are now looking at me questioning my ability to be a mother because are you really protecting your children? And that I'm even getting chills just thinking about it. And I had to do more. You had to do more. <sighs> when your motherhood is being antagonized and attacked because you yourself have become a victim People will start to blame the what I'm not going to say the woman because it's not always the woman. Sorry, guys. I'm okay. I, you know, guys, I'm working on being inclusive. People will start to victim blame. Mm-hmm. Did you find that? And this is an interesting thing, especially when we're in situations where we're talking about domestic violence or emotional, any type of abuse. How was he with rallying the troops on your side, like your your side of the family, your friends, your loved ones? So I narcissists have a very good ability to do that. Having said that, I was quite lucky that his, his attempts were complete failures. He couldn't even rally his own friends, family. Yes, but not his own friends. Okay. We have a few people. Cause I get these emails, you guys, you guys, every, everything, single thing that you send me, I always make sure I read and we get some heart breaking, heart wrenching emails um, from people that are in abuse situations that maybe don't want to categorize their partner or hopefully soon to be ex-partner, what piece of advice would you give them so that they can just snap out of it? Like what would somebody have needed to say to you before it got to nine years? Like maybe the three-year mark or the four-year mark, what would you needed somebody to come and shake you and say? I think the sad reality is, is there is almost nothing that a person can say. It is one of those sad things that you need to uh, go down that journey yourself and learn the hard way. Having said that, most survivors of abuse, particularly narcissistic abuse, but I mean all abuse, is you don't know that you're being abused. And so if someone said to me, do you know that your partner is abusive? I would have said, no, he's not. But perhaps that would have planted a seed of me questioning abuse. Why would someone think that's abuse? And then I would have Googled it and gone down the thought process of, could this be abuse? Am I wrong? I did not know it was abuse because we think of abuse in a very traditional way, a black guy. We think that men are the perpetrators, women are the victims, which is not always true. And we think that a battered woman has a certain look, a certain socioeconomic background, an abuser. I think frequently, and this is a complete stereotype that I disagree with, but, you know, he's that blue collar guy in the undershirt with tattoos or something like that. They even have a name for the shirt called a wife beater. I mean, for God's sake, like. Which is funny because my current partner wears one and I referred to it as that once. And he was like, um, can we not call it that, please? And I thought, good point. Why am I calling it that considering my right. But He's like, that term is no longer serving us. We've canceled yeah, that term. We've canceled yeah. that term. It's an undershirt. Um, but it's, you know, we we just we just don't think it's going to happen to us. It's, it's that age old, it's not going to happen to me. Other women get abused. I don't get abused. I'm too yeah. smart. I'm too educated. I'm, you know, I don't have trauma. I'm not one of those women. But, right. you know, 
you can be a cashier, you can be a CEO, you can have childhood trauma, you can have a beautiful upbringing. You're not immune to falling in love with an abuser. How do you know that you might be in a relationship with a person that is a narcissist and they have started to exact this narcissistic, narcissistic abuse on you? How do you know? I think the biggest telling signs are feeling crazy. And it's, it's that feeling that it's almost indescribable unless you've been through it. But that feeling of like, is it me? Am I the, am I causing this? I want to drama. I hate this person, but God, I love them so much. And I just can't leave, but I need to, but I can't, you feel responsible for them. You feel guilt. If you leave, you're like, but maybe they're going to unalive themselves. Maybe they're going to you know, not have a good life. He won't be okay without me. She won't be okay without me. You think about Mm. the kids, you think about all these reasons to stay, but you know, something is wrong. You just don't know that it's abuse. You don't know this abuse. So you, it's like this mental game. It's like mental torture. That's what it sounds like. Yes. You know, people say like, what's the difference between abuse and narcissistic abuse I don't know. I've read answers and I'm going to give you one, but I don't know that there really is a black and white definitive answer. Narcissistic abuse is psychological and emotional abuse. Can a person who is not a narcissist do that? Absolutely. And that's where it gets complicated, but it is psychological abuse. Not all narcissists are going to hit you. And that's another way that women are like, well, I'm not being abused because you're not being hit. But if you are constantly being gaslit and manipulated and constantly questioning yourself and justifying behaviors, if you're not being controlled, but you also feel like you can't be free, that's confusing. He never controls me. He doesn't. And I use hair as an example, because like most women can relate to that, Yeah, you know, and, and not all men, but many men like long hair. So you can't wear your hair like that. I, I will not date you if your hair is short. That's control. But it's never it's never that cut and dry with a narcissist. They would say, I really love women with long hair. But a nice guy could also say that. That doesn't mean that if you say that, you're an abuser. It means if you cut your hair too short, they might be like, ugh, or make a comment. Or you just cut your hair and then they insult someone else's haircut that looks just like yours. So it's it's incredibly subtle and, and covert. Yeah. If you're talking about a covert narcissist, there are some that are much more overt, but the ones that everybody talks about online are the covert ones that just trick you. So they just like sneak in your psyche and plant those little seeds and they don't even have to lift their hand. They don't even have to say words. They got you under control. So there's a lot of people, Lisa, that listen to this podcast that are newly single. They're divorced. They're out there once again for the first time in a very, very long time. And the thing that you and I want them to avoid is coming in contact with somebody that could potentially abuse them or take advantage of them. Some ways to tell, like when you're meeting a new person and, and guys, this doesn't mean go and demonize everybody's being a narcissist. Okay. Cause you got to do your own research. You have yep. to, to, to give it time. But I've truly met some people like within five minutes, I'm like, oh yeah, that's, this person is disordered. And mm-hmm. I don't want to learn anymore. I feel like in school, Lisha, they should have taught us how to mm-hmm. recognize these mental illnesses and these personality disorders. That'd be a lot less broken families, I feel like. Agreed. Um, <laughs> so like, what are some of the ways we can recognize that this person has a potential to do me a lot of harm? 
so the it's very subtle and you know hindsight is total there's a lot that we we being survivors know now that we didn't know then so it's hard if you don't know you don't know what can you do yeah but i want them to avoid having to become a survivor you know i just want them to yeah, it would be great if we could avoid it. And and the best attempt at avoiding it is slow down. And that's when you're in a relationship, a wonderful relationship, you know, in, in narcissistic abuse, we call it the love bombing, but in non-abusive situations, it's called the honeymoon stage and it's romantic and beautiful and happy. You're falling in love and you're missing all the signs because you're not paying attention. You're caught up with you know, uh, physical intimacy that might start too soon. You're caught up with like, but he's so sweet or she's so romantic. She's the nicest person I've ever known. And you, you just, all I'm saying is feel the feelings, but just don't move in with them. Don't lose sight of what you're looking for. So when anyone is dating abused or not, you want to have a list of traits that you're looking for. And then you're looking for, does this person align with my beliefs? Not just he said he is nice. He said he's a family man. Is he a family man? And what are the examples that you can think of that you have seen with your eyes, not with your ears, that demonstrate that they are, in fact, a family man, just as that example? Because, oh, yeah, I'm really close with my mom. Or you, you But see, you've never seen mom. You've never, you've never seen, seen him mom. even you've call never, mom. Yeah. It's like, oh, I, talk, I just talked to my mom. I'm not saying assume everyone's a liar. I'm just saying, like, wait for evidence of things. And the I, I, as a survivor, I understand the paranoia that can set in when you're dating. Like, what if? Um, and the reality, the sad reality is, is that if you have been in an abusive relationship. Does your partner share kids with a loony? Are your stepkids driving you up a wall? Is your partner failing miserably at setting boundaries? Well, VIP Stepmom is where you need to be. We're an exclusive private community just for stepmoms, and we'd love for you to join our tribe. Each month, our members enjoy private conversations, podcasts, expert workshops, a subscription to Stepmom Magazine, and monthly live Zoom meetings. If you're ready to join a diverse community that is committed to making sure you live your best life, visit VIP Stepmom today. We'll save a seat for you. VIP, VIP, Stepmoms, that's you and me. You have like an 80 something percent chance of doing it again if you have not done the work. But the work includes like, what are my unmet needs? Because the narcissist, when they met you, they served those unmet needs. And it's all the unconscious. You don't always know what they are. So you need to do that inner child work and think about what you wanted and how easy it might be for someone to just offer that to you on a silver platter when it's actually a myth sitting in front of you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You just said about where are you from? <laughs> Did I? I'm Canadian. <laughs> Wait, are you in Canada right now? Because I'm, I'm like, Canada. yeah. Okay, I, am, I, was like, I am, uh what we call GTA based, Greater Toronto yeah. Area in Ontario. So yeah, okay. I, I was like, yeah, Lisa, Lisa, I don't know how I didn't know that you were Canadian, but I heard that about about sounds out. familiar. Yep. Okay, so the, <laughs> back on topic. Let's talk about co-parenting, Lisa, because you spend a lot of time helping people through these very tumultuous situations over on your page and, and your mm-hmm. books and your platforms. Let's talk about how in the hell are you supposed to try to raise a well-rounded, happy, healthy individual, human being with someone who you know is anything but. Okay. That's a, that's, you know what, that's a too general of a question. First question, you send your kids 
to be with not Lisa guys, not Lisa per se. This is her giving advice. Yeah. But how is a parent to send their child over when they know that their co-parent is a harmful person? So I typically answer that question in the context of emotionally harmful because physically harmful is a completely different answer, right? If they're, if they're physically abusive. The system responds to physical abuse, not emotional abuse. Exactly. And so the system will help you in that case. But since narcissistic abuse is typically emotional abuse, typically, um, focusing on that, how do you send your children over? I I made a video on this and who would have thought it was incredibly controversial. And in fact, it might've been the one that introduced us. Okay. Okay. (laughs) When we talk about, you know, co-parenting and I'll just use 50, 50 as the example, I know it could be a different um, percentage, but when you're in custody and whatever percentage, how as a parent, man or woman, do you send your child over knowing that there is emotional abuse taking place and manipulation? The age of the kids plays a huge factor in it, but ultimately what you need to do is realize that when you were in that relationship, a hundred percent of their of the child's time, they were exposed to emotional abuse, even just witnessing your emotional abuse or receiving it, but it's around them. And when you leave, I'm going to use 50, 50 as the example, 50% of the time, they're still seeing emotional abuse, but 50% of the time they are seeing a happy, healthy parent. So you, you, you don't have a choice. And that is, is, incredibly unfair and so difficult. And I am a mother. So trust me when I tell you, I'm not saying just send them off and deal. I'm saying you don't have a choice in so many cases. So what can you do except accept it and manage the best way you know how. So you keep in mind, I'm going to show them how to cope with growing up with a narcissistic parent. I'm I'm just going to teach them the coping skills on how to stand your ground and how to have boundaries and how to feel secure in your sense of self. You teach that from a young age up. This seems like a fine line because obviously, you know, based on age and maturity, we can't be like, Hey, your mom is a narcissist. Your daddy's a narcissist. Um, but like you said, we teach, we teach our children to have boundaries. I find that a lot of kids, especially when they're younger and they've been groomed by a narcissist, um, they don't understand what boundaries mean because their other parent has not allowed them to have that. And so when we split and form a separate household from that person, yeah, we're doing all the work. But then when we send our kids back over there, because we have to, because we don't want to get a contempt order. We don't want to go to jail. So we got to do it. When we send our kids back over there, it's almost like, you know, it's like they're naked. It's, It's a raw scenario for them. How can we teach our children to fend for themselves while they are in the narcissist's home? My best advice is to position everything as a question with the child. And again, it's age appropriate. My children are four and six. So my mindset often is rooted there. But at any age, it's about questions. You know, how how was your weekend at mom's? How was your weekend at dad's? If you're hearing things that you recognize, knowing what's really happening, you recognize it, you ask questions. How did that make you feel? Validate. That sounds really difficult. I know that if that was me, I would find that really challenging to get through. Did you know that you can say no to that? Not that you're saying no. Did you know that you don't have to participate in that activity? You know, as opposed to like, I don't know why your dad's trying to force you. 
Right. It's not about dad. It's about you. Did you know that you have the choice? You don't have to do that. You don't have to feel that way. Just acknowledging, just the acknowledgement that the behavior is not good, not the person, the behavior, the child is like, oh, I, I can say no to that. I don't I can say no. I, that, yeah, like, I, I, it took me to, into well into my twenties to be like, oh, you could say no to your parents. You know, there's a lot of us that are raised just thinking, do as I say, not as I do. So then what happens when you start to notice that the child is picking up on some of these tendencies of their imbalanced or unhealthy parent and they're displaying them. What's the Mm -hmm. best course of action for a parent out there that's like, oh my God, Lisa, I'm starting to see some of their mama in them or some of their daddy. What the heck do I do? It's, it's terrifying. So first and foremost, narcissism is sort of, let's say solidified around the age of 18, meaning at that point, there's nothing more you can do. It's sort of, it's set assuming the disorder, but essentially what we're talking about you know, the, the underneath it all is empathy and accountability. Those are the two kind of main things that narcissism uh, avoids. And so if you start to see, I don't know, manipulation or a little bit of gaslighting or a lack of empathy, a lack of accountability, it is about having conversations. Like, you know, I noticed that you, um, I asked you to clean your room a million times and, and you're not doing it. Now, maybe they're being incredibly rude and dismissive about it or saying they did it when they didn't. Some of that's normal teenage stuff. Maybe that's not a good example, but when you start to see some of that behavior or rudeness or, you know, just a lack of accountability, you might say, I'm noticing a lack of accountability in our home and let's turn on the accountability button and let's, let's talk about that. What does accountability look like to you? What does that mean to you? And again, it's, it's questions. You're asking questions. You're starting a conversation because kids don't want to hear their parents talk about anything and lecture them. So if you make it more conversational, more filled with questions, then they're telling you and they're giving you feedback. Well, I think accountability is this, or just like, I don't want to hear this mom. I am accountable. Yeah. But let's talk about what it is. Let's talk about how that, how that, what accountability looks like. What are behaviors that demonstrate your accountability, that demonstrate your empathy, um, survivors of abuse particularly with younger kids, such as myself, we're constantly looking at our kids. And as soon as a child displays a lack of empathy, we're like, they're just like their parent. Oh my God. But let me tell you something interesting. Narcissists are emotionally stunted as children. So they're behaving like children. So when you, and remember that, because when you see your children acting like a narcissist, remember, no, no, the narcissist one is acting the same. like a child. So yes. you can teach this. Empathy is taught. And that's the problem is with narcissists, they are not taught it at a young age. And then mm. it's not possible to be taught later, which is a whole uh, clinical psychologist should be the person explaining that. But it is to do oh, they've with been on this website and they have all sorts of different. I mean, I'm sorry. I said website. They've been all over this podcast so many times and they all have different opinions. Some people say it's curable. Some people, I mean, it's just, I, we've heard the gamut guys, haven't we? Um, yeah. But very, uh, very rarely do we get to hear from a survivor, a thriver, someone that has said, you know, that's no longer a part of my life. And now I'm making this my mission to, to teach. Mm-hmm. You know, Lisa, I gotta, gotta, gotta talk about when the narcissist moves on with a new person. Mm-hmm. And that means your kid is going to have a new adult influence 
that shows them what it looks like to love and be in romantic partnership with their parent. Mm-hmm. And if we if we we know that our ex is an abuser, I think it's probably pretty difficult to look at their new person with like anything but pity. You're like, oh my god, girlfriend or homeboy. I know what you're going to be facing. Um, is there ever a time when it's okay to, as a person that has escaped from that situation, to reach out to this new supply and be like, girl, escape, get out while you can. So the, the temptation, man, do I understand it. Now, I personally didn't have it for very specific reasons, but I get the feeling of wanting to warn the person. But of any of the reasons to not warn them, the most important is this. If I were told when I first met him that he was an abuser, I would have thought you're crazy. And the reason I would have thought that was because the narcissist told me she was crazy. So now she comes to me and says crazy things. And I'm like, see, you're right, babe. She is crazy. So what you're actually doing, you're warning you thinking I'm, you know, girl code or bro code. Let's, you know, warn the new person. You are making it harder for them. You are solidifying a trauma bond. You are making him the lies that he spun. She's going to reach out to you. She's going to tell you all kinds of crazy things about me. You literally just solidifying did a trauma bond. Damn. You're helping her be abused. So what you should do is just keep your mouth shut, walk away, see nothing, has nothing to do with you. It is unfortunate. It is so sad watching someone else walk into the fire and you're like, girl, your eyes are closed. Open them. You can't help her. She doesn't see it. It's not possible. Narcissists kind of feel it on her own. They triangulate, right? They they need to build this story of, well, I only treat you this way because my ex was crazy. And so I'm damaged because of her. So now I don't trust women. Meanwhile, he never trusted women. Meanwhile, he was always abusive, but he will pin it on you. And because it's now pinned on you, anything you do feeds into his story. And he's like, see, I told you. I, yeah, I've been gaslighting her for six years and I'm not paying child support on time. And I did cheat on her, but, and she's sending me a pissed off text message. See, look, I told you she's crazy. And so let's talk about trauma bonds because- a, a light bulb just went off on my head. It's like, you know, and we guys, I hate to be general, but um, men do get carded as being the people that are diagnosed over women with a narcissistic personality disorder. We don't know if it's because they're actually going to see therapy. Like, we don't know what the, I don't know why, but I know it's okay. What's the theory? Let's, let's go. Yeah. Let's talk about that real quick before I ask my next question. Oh, okay. So my theory, because Let's use statistics, which I will, as I say, the statistics will acknowledge that I don't necessarily believe that they're entirely true, but statistically speaking, 1% of people are diagnosed, but experts believe between five and 15% are undiagnosed actual narcissists. So let's go real. I believe that. (laughs) I believe it too, but let's even say, let's go 5%. Let's say it's about 5%. That's one in 20 people, but of the people, uh, approximately 8% of that are men and something like four and a half percent are women. The reason I think is because men's narcissism presents a little bit differently. Yeah. 
women are less likely to be assumed that way. And it has a lot to do with feminism and the patriarchy and the expectations. So there's, there's a lot that like feeds into that. I don't know that men are more narcissistic. I know that the statistics say that. Because I know a whole bunch of us out here that would disagree. I'm like, I believe, I believe it's probably even if, Mm -hmm. I, I do believe it's probably even, but if it isn't, it's probably rooted in the patriarchy, but yeah, yeah. I That's forgot my, my next question though. I like, I, w- I had a really good, oh, trauma bonds. So I want to yeah. talk about trauma bonds because um, something that you said, I, when I was a single girl, girl, I would meet so many dudes and be like, oh my God, my ex-wife is crazy or my baby mama is crazy. And you know, the, you being the new girl in the picture, you want to believe the person and you're like, this is a decent guy. Oh my God, that girl, it's her loss. And a lot of us don't realize that this man did spend years gaslighting this woman. He's um, Mm -hmm. treated her like the worst kind of human. He is intentionally sometimes in some cases made her a single mother only with the intention of leaving her down and out. And so then we're coming in thinking, oh, we got this new thing. This woman is hurt. She's angry or even she's healing and just ignoring him. And he gets to play victim with us. And that does make you feel bound to your new partner because you're like oh I feel so bad for him he wants to be such a great dad but the bitch is not responding she's not responding because he literally like you know but these are the things that we don't see and that really does help the trauma bond let's talk about the trauma bonds and what they mean and what they look like and how do we know if that's a, a big portion of our own current relationships yeah, I think, you know, when you really look at it, first of all, when you said my ex is crazy, like my skin just, ugh. but yeah, yeah. Listen, I have a crazy ex. Here we are, but I don't, I don't lead with that. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't meet someone. Yeah. Like, oh my God, my ex is crazy. That comes out naturally through evidence, you know, but to me, that's a huge red flag when someone says that right off the bat. Mm-hmm. But if you find yourself in a relationship with someone who seems too good to be true, he's amazing. And his ex is crazy. Just think about how, how different those two perspectives are. I'm not saying break up with him. I'm saying, take a deep breath, pause and start looking because there's a possibility that he is an abuser because there is a possibility that she's telling the truth. And there is a possibility that she's a lunatic. And I get that. I'm just saying, be open to the idea that his ex-wife or her ex-husband is in fact a narcissist or an abuser or crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But also Don't be open to the me. idea that your person is the one that drove them there or they're just pissed off because this person set boundaries and has moved on with their damn lives and they yep. want to demonize them. I love what you said in the beginning. I think a lot of us fall into victim mode because if you are, if a person is truly narcissistic or they have, a, they present a lot of those traits, they do seem like a knight in shining armor. They do seem like the best woman that you've ever come across in your life. Like, oh my God, she's loving and she's nurturing and she listens to everything. Honey, she's trying to gather evidence, dummy. She's trying to find out what you like and what you need so she can go in for the kill. Yep. You know, we see that so much and and it happens so much. Um, I want to talk about your, your workbooks and your journals because you're hashing them out. And I love, I personally love workbooks and journals. Why did you choose to that as opposed to writing like a novel or, you know, just what, why did you do that? And then tell us about the workbooks and journals. 
So I chose that rather than a novel because the novel would be based on real life and real life is not something that I'm at liberty to discuss in detail. <laughs> um, but so, but really I'll tell you, I started this because I did not know that I was being abused. I did not know that there was such a thing as a trauma bond. And even when I learned what it was, I didn't know how to break it. And I, you know, you, listen, we all go on Google and TikTok yeah. and YouTube, and maybe we can afford therapy. Maybe we can't, but you don't have all the resources and everyone's saying different things. So, you know, let's cut through it. How do you break it? How do you get out of these relationships? And my brain just works this way where I'm like, what's step one? Because again, there's so much conflicting information and it was just me writing down what my own steps needed to be. And then I was like, hmm, this is interesting. Other people don't seem to know based on me just having started a TikTok account, not a business. And other people also don't seem to know. So I was really just documenting how to, and I knew that it started with reflection. So a journal made sense to me that it was 12 weeks. And honestly, it was, I sat in my bedroom one day and I said, okay, well, there's, I wrote down 12 steps. So there's 12 steps and I can do that over one 12 step every week. Yeah. five questions per week. Cause you don't want to journal seven days a week, or you probably won't anyway. So two days off five questions, just basic. And it doesn't mean that you break it in 12 weeks, but in 12 weeks, you will learn how to break it. Mm. Healing is different for everyone, but it takes you through, you know, the, the main three topics are education, but not just what is a trauma bond, but like, why are they so hard to break? And why did you find yourself in one? What is it about you? not from a place of judgment, from a place of understanding so that you can break yeah. these patterns. So you want to educate yourself on abuse, abuse tactics, um, trauma bonds, the science behind them, the psychology behind it, cognitive dissonance. Then step two is listen to yourself. What are your unmet needs? What are the boundaries that you should have set or tried to set that didn't quote unquote work? Um, understanding grief, letting go of the potential of the whole relationship. So just listening to how you're feeling the last yeah. step, which is my favorite, because it's the it's the level up at the end, which is build a future that they do not exist in. Even if you're still in the relationship, you have to envision and change your mindset and realize like, okay, you can't support yourself. They're the breadwinner. How can you support yourself? Sitting there saying, I can't support myself. That's not helpful. So how can you? Who can support you emotionally or financially, who can help you? And if the answer is no one, then okay, you've sorted out that there is no one that can fulfill that for you. So it has mm. to be you. So how can that happen? So you're building support for yourself. You're building this life. For me, it started with like, I wasn't ready to file for divorce. That was like cutting off my arm, but could I just make a phone call to a lawyer and just ask some questions, not retain one? Can I just find out how much it costs to rent an apartment instead of rent one? Let's just do some research. Those steps. Little oh, steps. Those steps kind of make it real too. You're like, okay, so it, it's like it brings up the, it's like, okay, you have the audacity of thinking these things are possible. Yeah. But you need to think that. You need to stop being like, I'm scared. I'm in a trauma bond. I'm stuck. You feel stuck. You're not stuck. You think you're stuck. You can change that. I love him. No, I think I'm in love with him. I can't leave. No, you feel like you can't leave, but you're learning how to leave. You're learning so how to be a little bit kinder to yourself. You don't know how yet you, you can't leave yet. We can't all just leave tomorrow. And I, when people say just leave, I mean, man, does that bug me? Because 
most of us can't. Yeah. Because oh, they question. us to not be able to. So um, one of our favorite guests is, on this podcast is Judge Anthony Bumpiani. Anthony, yeah, he is just like, he's been my, my homie yeah. for so long now, years at this point. And, you know, former judge, right? You know, mm-hmm. a person that has heard both sides and he himself has experienced the other side of the family court system, you know, just in yep. his own personal situation. You have done that as well. And one thing I always, and people that listen to this podcast, a lot of us are actively in court right now, trying to get these strangers to believe that our ex is harmful. Are there any pieces of advice that you can give to a person that has to face that narcissist in court or, you know, they're still in family court, they're undergoing divorce or they're trying to fight for contempt or just whatever. We know narcissists will lie through the skin of their teeth seamlessly and believably, but what can we do to defend ourselves against that? Uh, Well, actually my answer would be don't defend yourself. Okay. Explain. We think we need to defend ourselves when we often don't. So the person making the accusation has to prove that it's true. You do not have to prove that it isn't true. And that's true in Canada and the U.S. in family court. You're going to make an accusation. Show me the receipts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You get so caught up. And that's a distraction tactic used by narcissists to make you be like, I'm a good mother. And here I can prove it. I did this and I did this. And I nobody. No, you don't need to say that. You don't need to do that. We get so emotional. So obviously I would recommend to anyone to have a great lawyer, but the reality is is lawyers are super expensive and it's not always. Not every lawyer is great either. I mean, but interview, even if you can afford a lawyer, interview your lawyer and, you know, lawyers hate talking about narcissistic abuse. They're always like, yeah, yeah. Okay. I know. I heard, I heard. Yeah. But you need to find someone who's not just like, yeah, yeah, no, no. Like this, this is a domestic violence situation. I don't use the word narcissism in family court. That's ridiculous. But you want to show behaviors and with evidence as in dates and times of specific circumstances that have negatively impacted the co-parenting relationship or the children. It doesn't matter that you were abused. And that's a tough pill to swallow because my abuse is very important to me, but it is not important to judge Anthony, who I love, but in, in his role in family court, it is not for him to feel for me. He is there to facilitate an arrangement for the children. And so it is up to me to demonstrate that it would not be healthy for my children due to these examples. So don't defend yourself. Don't get emotional. And it is the most emotional thing in the world. You're fighting for your children. You're fighting for your life. And I say, don't get emotional. But you have to take a deep breath and find a way to push through and always look at, I'm doing this for my children. You want to post on social media that your ex is a narcissist? He can take that to court and use it against you. Don't do that. He's 100% going to do that. You get all like, you can't silence me. It's, see how you're focused on you? It's not about you. Do you want to tell your story or do you want to have custody of your children? Mm. What's more important to you? And everyone would answer, well, my children, right. So shush, don't, don't slander your ex. And I get it. I mean, and and literally look at my platform, but my platform is rooted in my reality. 
but I'm also deliberately vague and truly not all the stories are my specific examples. I Right. Your platform is very much a teaching platform. It's a solution-based it teaching platform. So anybody that looks at it can tell like, hey, this woman has taken her experiences and turned it into something massively great. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness, Lisa, I feel like I can talk to you for like another 30 minutes, but I promised you that I wouldn't hold you all day. So we're probably going to have to have you come back for a part two. But until then, can you tell everybody, and I know I'm crazy with Naja Hall world, where to find you? Yes. Um, I am everywhere these days. So I started on TikTok stronger than before. I'm on Instagram as stronger than before coach. I'm on YouTube as stronger than before. I'm on Facebook as stronger than before. Um, I'm all over. And my website is stronger than before.ca.com because I am Canadian. Um, and there is where people can read more about the, the two books. The other book, the self-love reflection journal it works in a similar way in terms of the process and the questions, but it really brings out that self-love post abuse because we lose ourselves in the relationship. So you learn how to rebuild yourself and, or build yourself, right? We don't always have a sense of self True. Um, or learn more about the trauma bond recovery course. That's the digital, I would call it the expanded version of the journal itself, where it okay. really digs into and gives you the education. So you can kind of do them both then together. Like you can do the course and do the journal. The course the and the time. journal works really well together. It's not mandatory to do together, but it is excellent. There's like no we should get, yeah, get them both together yeah. guys. And listen, let me tell you guys this. You all know when you listen to this podcast, I don't care when you listen to it, where you're at, I want you to stop what you're doing and go to Stronger Than Before. And I love the fact that all of your brands have the same name. Like I'm such a hot mess. My stuff is like all over the place. But Lisa is has made herself very easy to find for us guys. So when you go, you listen to this, make sure you tell her that you heard her here. And mm-hmm. now Lisa is officially inducted into the I Know I'm Crazy Hall of Fame because she is crazy just like the rest of us. I am Naja Hall. I am your host and I will see you guys every other Tuesday. I know I'm crazy with Naja Hall. Please listen everywhere your favorite podcasts are streamed. I'll see you next time. I know I'm crazy. I know I'm crazy. I know I'm crazy. I know I'm crazy. Naja Hall.